This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. Well, hello, everybody. This is Readers Entertainment Radio, and I am Patricia W. Fisher, here ready to give you another great chance of escapism in a fabulous book, and I have a wonderful author today to tell you about. So Katie Golding is a racing fan with a writing problem. The recovering cheerleader lives in a small town outside of Austin, Texas, and mom of a, to a future philanthropist, um, and wife to a Superman, and her writing playlists range from 80s love songs, 90s grunge, and 2000s punk to New Age Underground in less time than it takes to burn her dinner, and she is currently at work on her next romance novel, unless she's tweeting about it, but her latest release, her debut release, is out now, came out this week called Reckless, and I'm super excited to talk to her about it. It is Katie Golding. How are you today, my dear? I'm doing great. Actually, just real quick, Fearless came out this week. Reckless will be coming out next year, but I totally get that. So, um, oh. yeah, I'm super excited about Fearless. So I'm so glad to be here and talking to you today. That's right. It's Fearless, then Reckless. And then do you have something after that one? Yes. So the third book in the series will be Lawless. So we're keeping in the in the racer list. <laughs> um, same theme going on there. So I love it. So tell me why racing? Because you know a lot of people have done, you know, stock car racing. They've done racing like the cars, but this is motorcycle racing. Right. So in in 2014, my husband got tickets to a MotoGP race through his work, and I didn't know anything about motorcycle racing or anything. But I thought, yeah, this will be fun. We'll take our kid. We'll go. And we went, and it just blew me away watching these guys just barrel down these tracks and taking these deathly turns and the the vibration of the bikes, the sound. I've always been kind of a gearhead car girl. I just fell in love with this sport. And by the time we left, my husband turned to me and he said, you know, you should write a book about, you know, motorcycle racers making, you know, a motorcycle romance and it wasn't long before words were on a page and it's completely taken over my world. And I love MotoGP sport. Um, they've just come back, started racing again the last couple of months after all the COVID business. And I'm going to sure. be really, really sad to, to leave this, this sport and move on to other things in the high octane world. But it's been a blast to really dig in and show this other aspect of motorsport and things like that. So it's a really exciting new venture. So so you went, and, I mean, tell me how, and obviously the track is obviously different than, say, race car tracks because obviously you're not going to be going the distance. It's not going to be the same amount. I mean, what, what are sure. the main differences um, in just so, the basic setup of everything? Sure. So um, if the closest thing to relate it to is probably Formula One. So, like, in that okay. car, they go around and around in a loop versus sure. Moto Grand Prix. This is um, – this is more of track racing. So these tracks have a lot of turns, like hairpin tight turns. So they'll mm-hmm. look like a little squiggly line that'll make a full loop, basically. So they'll start off from the the starting line, basically, and then it's you know right, left, and all these things like that. And then they'll usually do about 25 laps. So the races last about 45 minutes long, 
Um, okay. Usually about 20 guys on the grid or so, and then they're all battling for positions. So it's very much a, a physical battle, a mental battle. Um, the the mechanics of the bikes really come into play between the manufacturers. So it's a very aggressive sort of racing instead of just doing like drafting like you would do in stock car. This is very much a, a battle of wills, a mental game of can I overtake you in this turn and am I going right. to push you out? Or are you going to wreck? Things like that. So we have gravel, we have, um, you know, grass, different different obstacles that they kind of go through. It's, it's a lot of people will confuse it um, with motocross, which is the dirt jumping, but this okay. is, this is track racing with checkered flags. So, okay. And so um, is it like, so I know NASCAR and these different other races will do um, you collect points all year. Um, yes. And so, right. Is it the same mm-hmm. or is it per race? Yes. I mean, I know NASCAR is too, but I mean, it's, is it divided up like that? Sure. So, yeah, there, we have about 20 races now within the season, and so each finishing place will earn points, basically. So first place you get 25, okay. second you get 20, and you kind of go from there. And then these will add up over the season um, into the world championship standings. So every race is important. You always want to try and, you know, finish first if you can and rack up those points um, for an individual in their world championship standing as well as for your manufacturer, whether you're racing for Yamaha or Ducati or Honda or things like that. So it's very much a huge part of this series is collecting those points. Um, The second book is actually more racing focused. Um, The first book really is, we're dealing with um, publicity issues and injury issues and trying to maintain a career through injuries and things like that. Later on in the series, leaderboards will actually come into play. My poor yeah. publisher having to craft these and make them. There was a lot of math involved. But, yes, yeah, so the, <laughs> the placements really become a fighting factor in making sure that you're hitting those podiums, that, you know, you're representing, you're earning your spot, basically. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's a whole new thing, but you mentioned that you were kind of a gearhead. I mean, did you have people in your lives that said, hey, come here, let me show you how this works? I mean, were you already familiar with how it works? I'm very lucky to have a husband who rode motorcycles for a very long time. Um, we met pretty much because he had a black Cobra Mustang and I was like, Hey, what's uh-huh. up with your car? Um, right. So I've <laughs> always, I've always fast cars, loud cars, racking pipes, the way they lope. I will roll down the window and listen to a diesel truck purr at a red light. Um, so <laughs> I was very much intrigued by the idea of these very loud, very fast bikes. So, um, the way that the MotoGP bikes work is that they are prototype bikes. So we okay. have in the racing world, there is what's called the, the superbike circuit, which is actually what the heroine, Taryn, she's a superbike racer. And these are production bikes. These are bikes that you can go buy in a, um, in a dealership or something like that, but then people take them and then they race them on these track circuits. MotoGP takes it to the next step forward. So these bikes are fully customized. We're hitting speeds of upwards of 200 miles per hour. They are definitely fast. Um, You have to really be kind of another level of human to be able to control it, to wield it at that space and at that speed. 
because they're going from, you know, 195 miles an hour to, you know, 90 miles an hour in a turn. And it's, it's up, down, up, down, quick, quick, quick. So it's, it's very adrenaline rushing, super, super fast. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, was, I mean, I've talked to my kids about this and, and so, um, you know, we'll see some people, you know, on weekends or whatever, and they'll have their, um, they'll be out on their bikes, and I'll say, oh, they're wearing their leathers, and and I and I've told them that you wear leathers mm-hmm. so you don't get ripped up if you get thrown. Yeah. It's not just a, you know, like a, hey, I'm a biker type thing. Um, and of course, they all point out if someone's not wearing a helmet because it's just that's just terrible. Um, yes. But uh, <laughs> they're not happy. They also announce very loudly if someone's smoking and wonder if they know if it's bad. And, and I think, well, after hearing you <laughs> yell that, I'm sure they do. Um, but um, well, that's anybody who doesn't matter if they're riding you know, a bike. Um, but how does that play in something like this? I mean, what is the protective equipment involved here? So they are wearing um, full leathers. Um, a lot of times right. it's actually um, a kangaroo leather versus cowhide. I can't believe I actually know this. This is years of research for you. Um, but it's a little <laughs> bit tougher. It's a little bit lighter. Um, underneath, they're wearing uh, protective plates, inserts directly against their body, which are Kevlar and titanium mixtures, um, thing that looks almost kind of like an armadillo spine. So if you look at the back, it's kind of a huge hump that comes up and it creates a, a protection for the spine and will streamline down off the back of the helmet to create the airflow because when they're, when they're ducked down, the, we want the air to come smoothly over the top of the bike, come over the helmet, and then down the spine because usually they're ducked all the way down. Um, they right. don't like, sit up or right. So creating that stream. So they will have um, elbow pads on as well. They kind of look like um, – uh, just like a, like a regular elbow pad, but it's going to be really big and bulky. And the same for their knees, because very often the knees and the elbows may even actually touch the ground in a turn when they're leaning so far over to right. cut these turns at that speed. The knees and the elbows will touch the ground, if you can imagine doing that at wow. 150 miles an hour. So, yeah, full full helmets, um, full leathers, protective plate in. Um, elbow sliders, knee sliders, racing boots, racing gloves. Um, but that's it. I mean, it's just, that's pretty much it. It's just you and the bike. They've made a lot of improvements in safety measures over the last few years. A lot of riders, they, they, they crash and they slide and they get up and they walk away. And it's really yeah. amazing to see. But um, sometimes things do happen. Um, there was a, a race last weekend that happened in Chris, Spain. And it was really exciting, and a lot of guys ended up wrecking out. Um, actually, it was two weeks ago, and one of the, the current world champion, Mark Marquez, his tire hit a curbstone. It flipped him over. He skidded through the dirt, and the bike swung around and hit his arm. And just the barely touching it actually broke his arm and it because ha- it happened wow. so fast. So, unfortunately, things like that do happen. Some people do get hurt. Some people, unfortunately, pass away. But it's not nearly as common as it used to be. They've made huge strides in the safety of the sport. So, wow. I mean, it's a lot to go into it. I mean, people, I, I think I was talking to my son about this. I said, you know, everybody always wants to be famous, whatever, you know, basketball player, actress, writer, you know, doctor, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, nurse. But it's the 
we can all hope for it, but it's the actual putting in the hours. And if you're willing to basically get beat up by the process, um, yes. then, you know, you, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot to think about. It is about. a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. And especially for these characters in this story, because my characters are based in Memphis is where they're from. And MotoGP takes place in Europe and Asia most of the year. They come to America um, once now. They used to come a couple of times. They used to go to the Indianapolis Circuit, Laguna Seca in California, and now they just come to Austin. So there's a lot of traveling time. Um, they are mm-hmm. bound between countries with maybe a couple of days downtime in between. Um, they're dealing with jet lag. They're dealing with time differences. They're dealing, they're going from, practicing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, racing Sunday, flying Monday, getting there Tuesday, press on Wednesday, practice on Thursday. I mean, it's just nonstop. And they run from, they start practice in February, the circuit starts in March typically, and then we'll run through mid to end of November. This year's a little bit different because of COVID. Right. But it's, yeah, it's typically um, nine months of the year, uh, somewhere between 19 and 20 tracks they keep adding more and the racers are like oh my gosh you guys we need some downtime but yeah Yeah. it's it's physically grueling it's um the travel is a lot the distance is a lot it takes a lot of mental stamina physical stamina so what is your i mean and we'll get to this because we're going to talk about your characters but i mean what is your typical age for someone like this in their 20s their 30s i mean what is um Yeah, it depends on what level they're at. Most of these guys will start when they're really young. Like, they'll start Mm -hmm. go-karting when they're in their, like, five to seven-ish, maybe ten-ish range. Um, Usually when they're about 15, they'll start hitting the very bottom levels of what's called Moto3 when it's kind of the first beginner levels. And then we'll see them come up into their early 20s-ish when they finally advance to the top tier, which is MotoGP. Okay. So we have a we have a new guy that's in MotoGP right now. He's a 21 year old Frenchman. He just won two races in a row. Um, he's super young. He's super fast. We're excited to see where he goes. His name is Fabio Quattaro. Um But yeah, most of the guys are in their early 20s because it is very demanding physically. Um, the yeah. the eldest racer right now is Valentino Rossi, and he is pushing 40. Actually, maybe 41. Um, he's basically the god of motorcycle racing. He's guy's been around forever, and just you just can't beat him. Um, but it's wow. getting, it's getting tough at his age to keep up. Um, you know, it's you know a hundred degrees when they're racing. It's a forty-five minute race. You're sucking exhaust fumes. I mean, it's you're in full blown leathers. It's hot. It's hot. And, it's you know, yeah. You're trying to tilt this bike this way and that way and keep up with twenty-one year old guns. So it's it's tough to hang in there as the older that you get and I think well in certain sports like gymnastics and things like that you see your your fear of mortality can really start to come into play as you get older the things that you're risking become greater you start to have a family um it's the stakes get a little bit higher I think as well sure so there's more life investment involved versus just Race, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it gets harder and harder and, to walk away. If you're able to keep up, it's harder to know when to walk away. So the big question right. now is, when is Valentino Rossi going to retire? And 
Nobody really knows. He keeps putting it off. But, hey, he just came in second last week, so maybe the guy should stick around for a little bit longer. So, Right, and it's always the question of, there. yeah, it's, and it's always a question of do you go up, go out on top or do you wait until you have, you know, you're just using fumes? Yeah, so right, I, I mean, it's exactly. so individual. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's only, like, 20 spots on that grid. So it's a big question of are you taking up space that could be used for someone that's young, that deserves a chance, that's coming up? Like, should you maybe, you know, look to being in a manager? Maybe you can retire into being a test writer, which we've seen happen with uh, Jorge Lorenzo, who used to be the rival of Valentino Rossi when he started. So he came up. He made a big splash. They were rivals, and then he retired before Rossi did. And it was like, wait a minute, okay. wait a minute. So we have these eras of writers, basically, and so we have a new class that's coming up, and they are wicked fast, and the older guys are just going, what is going on? Like, how are we going to keep getting these guys? So, I mean, they just keep getting faster and faster and faster, like it happens in all careers, I'm sure. You know, the new sure. class comes up, and you're like, what am I going to do with this? So. Right. But I mean, there's, and I was talking to someone recently about, you know, having, <laughs> talking to your kids and we can try and prepare them for a lot of things. Um, but there's just, they're only going to listen to so much anyway. Um, but mm-hmm. it's also what is, what is um, applied theoretically and then what is applied in reality. And so, you know, we can have all these young people and, you know, we were all young people once that, you had all the answers and everything else, but there's nothing that really teaches you as much as true experience. And so, Absolutely. you know, I, yeah, the the experience part is something you you just don't read out of a book or learn, you know, without you know the whole thing. So, it, it's always yeah. very interesting to see how things like that play out. Um, and so, when you were talking about it being really really hot on the um, mm-hmm. the, the grid. Your books are really, really hot. So please tell us about this first. Let's tell us about Fearless and what's up. So Fearless is, it is now you'll kind of get an idea where I'm, I'm pulling inspiration. We've talked a little bit about some of the real racers here. Um, Billy King is the current world champion racer. He's the guy to beat. Um, he's been around for a little bit. He's been really racking up those wins. And he's at the end of the season, so they just finished racing in Valencia. He just won another world champion, and his girlfriend has just broken up with him. So he's oh, going to no. head home to Memphis, yeah, and he's hiding an injury. Um, there are already people that are pushing for him to retire, to make room on that grid, to go ahead and hang it up, and he's not quite ready, you know. He's he's at the start of his life. He's like 27 He's, you know, got a woman that he loves. He's looking to make moves in that. But everyone wants him to just, you know, walk away from his career. So he is at the top of his game. He heads home with a broken ankle and a broken heart, and he's got to win Taryn back and heal his ankle before he goes back to the circuit in February. So he's got a very short amount of time to fix all that's gone wrong in his life. Um, like I mentioned before, Taryn happens to also be a superbike racer. Unfortunately, okay. this means that they are racing in opposite places, usually at the same time. So when right. she's in, like, France, you know, she's off in Spain. So we have a long-distance issue. We have a timing issue. We have competing priorities. 
Um, she's very much looking to correct some things about her racing image that she's uncomfortable with and really have people recognize her for her skills on a bike, her placements on a podium versus the fact that she used to be a beauty queen. So there's a lot going on there. It is a dual yeah. point of view, dual timeline, second chance for a band. Okay. So, yeah. It's a lot it's, going on. but it's I mean, a lot. There's a lot going on. <laughs> but she, I mean, racing, but she's there's been... horses, there's kissing, there's traveling, there's pretty much everything that I can jam-pack into that I love between <laughs> racing and being a Texan and putting it all in there, and it's it's my heart on the page. And I actually call this book my victory lap because it was written in pure joy. So it's actually very sweet and very soft. And Billy is, even though he's this really fierce, really fast motorcycle racer, explorator, he has a heart of gold. And he just makes me swoon all over the place. I mean, they just don't make him better than Billy. So, which yeah. I say so humbly, having written him, but he just yeah. came out this very gentle-handed cowboy who loves his horse. It's his, his, it's his best friend. He will basically do anything for him, um, and he loves Perrin. And he's really gotten himself backed into a bad corner because he made a very big mistake that caused her to break up with him. So he's got to go fix all these wrongs in his life. So he's got one yes. parent back. He's got to he's got to save his career, his whole deal. Well, and you know, we we as readers have to decide if he's truly redeemable. So we have to redeemable. read the book to find out. Right, yes. right. Yes. That was one of the reasons, actually, why I ended up writing it as a dual timeline because I felt that if I'm going to start the book with a guy that's been dumped, we may want to find out why she even liked him in the first place. So Taryn's point of view in the book is actually when they meet. Um, So her point of view takes place about nine months before, and we will actually see them meet the first time, have their first dance, their first kiss, totally fall in love, all the way up to the earth-shattering break. Meanwhile, in Billy's point of view, we're seeing him try to stitch all these pieces back together. So for me, it was really important to show why this relationship was worth saving, why he was worth yeah. forgiving. So we really, through Taryn's eyes, see her fall in love with Billy, and hopefully the reader falls in love with him as well, and we'll be like, okay, well, just, just give him another chance. I mean, come on. I mean, he's a really right. good guy. But, yeah. There's a couple of <laughs> well, that's interesting. It's like in there for fun. It's like you took mm-hmm. two strings, so instead of pulling it all the way through, you're already pulling one midway because it's, you know, present to, you know, break up to getting back together, and then you're pulling the other string towards the middle um, mm-hmm. and putting those pieces together. So what a, what a cool idea to uh, have them on different timelines. I mean, what, what you know, pushed you, or had you seen that done before um, in a different series, or was it just something that just worked when you were thinking about it? It just kind of, it's weirdly, it felt very natural to me um, to do it this way because I've never written a dual timeline before. So this was my my first attempt at it, to be very honest. Um, It was a unique challenge for me craft-wise. Boy, was it a challenge craft-wise to keep (laughs) all the pieces together. So, like, 
in his first chapter, the first chapter of the book, he knows things that the reader won't discover until almost the end of the book, basically. And so trying right. to keep that all straight. But um, like I said, it, it for me, it was really about redeeming qualities, making sure that I'm writing a hero that we want to root for, that we're writing a couple sure. we the readers want to see get together. Um and for me, I, I love a meet cute. So, I mean, I was like, how am I going to go back and, and make sure I understand or bring across clearly why this relationship is so worth saving? And for me, instead of just saying, well, we really loved each other and it was this really epic romance, I wanted to show it because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a, sh- you know, right. I mean, you hear all the time, show, don't tell, but I really wanted to show what was so special about this couple. And not only that, but kind of give a glimpse into the future that they could have and hopefully will have provided that they're able to make it work. So as they're going through this terrible experience and as well, just to kind of balance out the levity for the reader, because we are starting in a dark moment, things are contentious. Um, She's not talking to him. Basically. I think her first words to him are to F off on the page. Oh yeah, sure. Oh, right. So, I mean, how, how are we going to fix this? She won't even talk to the guy. So in order to bring back the balance of hope um, and balance out all that angst really was to show the flip side of it, show the joy, show the anticipation, show those tingles, those first butterflies. So it was a Oh, there's nothing like first butterflies. Yes, yes. I mean, and she doesn't want anything to do with him when she first meets him either. I mean, he's nice. He's a bull rider. She doesn't want to date bull riders. He hits on her at a rodeo. She's like, get away from me. She finds out it's not, he's borrowing someone's horse. She tries to take his horse. I mean, like, there is all sorts of stuff going on. But he just steals his way into her heart little bit by little bit. And you really get a sense on who he is, why he's kind of, dismissing the breakup because he basically comes home and is like, Hey honey, what's going on? And she's like, dude, we just, I just broke up with you. Like, what are you doing? So yeah. That's, yeah. And it just kind of explains more who this guy is. So he's very confident, but very sweet. And he has this pesky brother who keeps getting in the way. So full bromance alert. Um, yeah. Billy's got, Billy's got a brother and, He's very much a part of the story, and I, I love a good romance. So it's all about these relationships and boundaries and when do you sacrifice things, who's worth sacrificing things for growing up and to new relationships. I very much tilt towards the new adult side of age range. Mm-hmm. So we're we're having our first real relationships. We're we're our parents are still involved, you know. I mean, they're a big part of our lives. We're buying our first houses. We're having our first big careers, all those things. So, Well, I laugh about your comment of, um, you know, buying the first houses and doing all the new adult stuff because I've been, uh, since all this, everything with COVID started at night, sometimes I'll go through BuzzFeed and take, like, a tremendous amount of, like, not important quizzes. And yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> Which Disney princess are you? I love Bucky. I, I know. They're um, the greatest. <laughs> but they um, had it to where things that people didn't know or that people, 
things that people didn't realize their friends didn't know. It was kind of like that. So like 25 things. It was on Reddit, like somebody put it on there. And um, stuff like uh, my friend got a note from the HOA because she had mowed her grass, and she, was, she had just bought her first house, and she thought the city mows your grass. Um, oh my goodness! Or, yes. Yeah. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or um, what do you mean? I don't have water. I thought that just comes with a house. You know those kind of things. What do you mean? Right. So <laughs> it's a lot of stuff like that. It's it's always amazing to me what pe- what you know, but what you think you know, but, and what but you don't know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's tremendous. My husband and I just bought our first house um, two years ago. And I was absolutely in that same boat. And I'm just going, I don't know how this works. And they're walking us around the house and they're going, this box is for this. And I'm looking at my husband going, are you taking notes? Because I don't got any of this out. Like, I, I mean, we, yeah. it's totally new world. Like, what does closing on a house mean? Like, what is escrow? Right. What are all these words? I mean, you've heard them so many times, but really going through it. And, yeah, it's, I, I really enjoy that age. Um you know, they're, I, I love writing adult characters. I, I definitely love being in that adult world. But I think it's a very important time period when you're really taking those first steps mm-hmm. really out of the nest. So my characters do live at home, um, mostly because they're traveling so much. So financially, it really doesn't make sense for them to be living on their own unless they're sure. in a serious, committed relationship. So our parents are involved, you know, he's got to get past mama, you know, all of those kind of things, you know, he's got to stand up to his dad and be like, you know what, I ain't helping with the goats anymore, I'm out of here. So right. it's, it's, I love the dichotomy of you're an adult, but you're still learning how to be an adult. Yeah. And I feel like that age is extending longer and longer and longer versus it used to be 18, you're out the door, you know, you're good to go. And now, you know, you're 26, you're 27, and you're like, I get a mailbox at the post office. So. <laughs> I know that when um, I had to, I went to UT for a few years, had a fabulous time, and then had to leave mm-hmm. because I had to readjust, like, go to class. And um, so came home, regrouped, uh, worked, went to nursing school. And then when I got my nursing degree, I remember running down the driveway. My, my parents were kind enough to say, just come regroup, but you're going to have to work. You know, get yourself mm-hmm. back together. And so um, I, I remember running down the driveway saying, I passed my nursing license. You know, I'd like gotten my registered nursing. And my dad said, congratulations, you have one month. Get out. <laughs> so, and I was like, all right. The way? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. He's like, yeah. I'm done. All of you need to leave. <laughs> I know. I'm oh ready to be goodness. alone with your mom. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, see, and I just feel like in so often, especially in adult romance, if, if like, the parents are involved or families involved, they're much older or they're having heart attacks or something like that. Sure. I really wanted to show families kind of in a different state. So, you know, moms are working, dads are working. I mean, every everyone's fine. I mean, they're watching movies, having family dinners. He's sneaking in the window at night. I mean, so we're we're adult, but we still have some of those almost almost teenage kind of playfulness instincts. Like I said, I'm, I'm really kind of bordering the age group here, but 
all the fun of the adult romance world with some of those really nostalgic, fun memories of being younger and a little bit wild because these guys just yeah. don't want to follow the rules at all. So. Well, I wouldn't think someone who took the cautious way to things would be doing this sport. So, no, yeah. not, not quite, not quite. Funny that Taryn, um, our heroine, did it all right. So she was, you know, the local beauty queen. She did all that stuff. She barrel races. She's, you know, champion rodeoer. Went to Baylor for four years. Got her degree in sports medicine. Was going to follow that path. And then, in her words, flipped it off to go race motorcycles for a living. So, you know, we have these characters that are really good at following the rules. They know where the line is and they know when to cross it. And right. Because there's it's it's that line between, you know, living dangerously and living recklessly, really. And, exactly. Mhm. So, yeah. Some of them are So much you've more got than others. <laughs> Right. So you've got, you know, you've got second chance romance, you've got these dual timelines, you've got all this stuff and you've crammed all this stuff in as well mm-hmm. as secondary characters because it would not be um, totally fantastic. It would be fantastic, but it's totally fantastic because now we also have secondary characters that get their own stories, correct? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So <laughs> you will um, – oh, yeah. It's it's just a little universe, and it's just it's very cyclical. So um, book one is going is Billy and Taryn's story, and mm-hmm. in it we meet Lorelai, who was actually the original heroine inspiration for the whole series, which is a very oh, wow. weird story. Yeah, so the book two was actually the first book that was written in the series, um, which is Rivals to Lovers between Massimo Vitolo, who is an Italian racing superstar, and Lorelai Hargrove, who owns this horse ranch. Billy worked at the horse ranch, um, stole her motorcycle basically one day when he was bored and got pulled over speeding going very quickly, and her manager was like, hey, you should come practice with us. And that's kind of how Billy got started racing. It's so weird. Um, So, yes, so we will meet the book two characters in book one, they will have a very intense, very rivalish to lovers romance in book two, which is reckless. There is a huge wreck that is the center of it, um, along with the scramble to make some podium placements, which is where all the fun math comes in. And then book three, we're actually going to come back around to Billy's younger brother, which is Mason. And where Billy is, Billy is stable and sober and steady, and Mason is the absolute opposite of him. And he is the one that makes the bad decisions. He's the one with uh, the rowdy ideas. He's the one that's staying out late drinking. And, you know, he's got a girl in every city and every track and never dates a woman twice. So we have the polar opposites here, and I love these brothers because they will do anything for each other, and they will protect each other at all ends. So we will meet the heroine um, for that book within book two. So okay. things that happen in book one are going to come back to haunt us, basically, in book three where it's all going to come full circle. So I'm really excited about the arc of this series as a whole. 
um, it's really just one big story. But, of course, they can all be read individually. But I'm really, really excited about it. (laughs) I mean, when you were doing all this, did you – you said you started with book two um, as book one. (laughs) But, I mean, did you plot the whole series? At sit down and do the whole thing, or did you just start no. with book one and then see what grew from there? So I, I originally drafted Reckless, which used to be called Circuit of Attraction, um, okay. back in 2014. And um, I was working on this book a lot and got an agent. She retired, got another agent, and then finally the <laughs> series sold. And they said, you know, this is great, but we want to kind of move it in a different direction. So my original plans for how the series was going to go, um, once I met my editor and we started talking, everything changed. And that's when Billy came into existence. So Taryn was originally a side character and Mossmo and Lorelai's story. And I didn't really know very much about her. And once I met my editor... And she said, you know, we're, we want to go this way and, you know, kind of bring into these elements. And then Billy arrived, and Taryn was like, that's mine. And I was like, okay. And then we had Fearless. And, I mean, and the whole book basically just came out in one solid chunk. I think it was drafted in something like two, two and a half months. It's the fastest I've ever drafted a novel. It just clicked. It was like once she, once my editor was like, you know, we'd really like to – you know, see some more of the, the Memphis side, the cowboy side, because it was very much all racing, all racing, all yeah. the time. They were never in Memphis. And she was like, let's let's bring it back home a little bit. You know, I'm a Texas girl. I, I love being in Texas. I love my state. And she really wanted to emphasize that, that part of me. And then when, when Billy showed up, that was that. But Billy came with Mason, and Mason just causes trouble. And so now we've gone from – my original inspiration for the series, which was following these different, um, actually like like racer guys. So now we have, yeah. we have Memphis Billy and Taryn, and then we'll go to, to Mossmo and Lorelai. And then we will move to Mason and Kiara. So, and okay. Kiara is a very good friend of um, Mossmo, which is how she comes okay. into the world. Nice. It's fun to like draw those, those connections. Um, mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's like, okay, wait, this person goes here, and you're drawing a line, and, you know, this is who this is. Um, but I always, fi- I always find it fun when the characters start telling you who they are as you're writing. Uh, and it's, it's funny because I've talked to people before, and I know that if it was someone who wasn't a writer, they'd say, are your characters talk to you? Are you okay? Oh, my um, gosh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're out of control. I mean – for for example, so book three is lawless, right? Never should have named a book that. Like I like I shot myself in the foot right from the start because every outline that I have had for Mason, he has thrown out the window. I'm like, you need to go mm-hmm. ride this bull, and he's like, I ain't riding that bull. That bull's gonna kill me. I'm gonna go drink, and I'm like, can you not do this? Can you just cooperate for once? I oh, I'm a plotter. I have ridiculously detailed outlines. I mean, subplots are color coded. I know exactly where I'm going. Uh uh-uh. uh. Mason's book, he wasn't having it. It's out of order. It's all over the place. I'm on draft like number fourteen. I'm still rearranging chapters. This boy don't want to follow any court of rules. Versus Big Brother Billy's book, 
no problem. Outline done. Yeah. Book done. Revisions done. And like, you know, <laughs> by the book, steady, sober. I mean, there's so I, the characters really drive not only the story, but I feel like the way the story is written. So yeah, yeah, which can be very yeah. weird and meta, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's, and I, I always find it fun, though, because there's times it's like, oh, yeah, she would have, like, chocolate pie for breakfast. And, you know, it just – you don't know until you're writing these characters. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. they would do that. That's right. Yeah, that um, totally would. Yeah, yeah. Billy, sure. Billy plays not? with his horse. Karen watches, you know, old musicals. And, you know, Lorelai just wants to go run around on her treadmill. And Mason just wants to go party. I mean, you just – you never know what they're going to do. It's just ridiculous. Star Trek has become a huge part of book three because they're Trekkies. And so, yeah, that's happening. You just, I just never know where these guys are going to take me. But it's been so much fun just to really watch them come to life, feel them come to life. And they feel so organic to me, which I hopefully will come across the page. So Yeah. So when you, um, speaking of Star Trek, did you watch any of mm-hmm. the, the Comic-Con at home stuff this week, this past week? I haven't. Honestly, this past week has been such a blur with the book coming out on Tuesday. So, But I did watch Picard, and I loved every minute of that show. It was so great. I'm a Next Generation girl, so I grew up watching Star Trek Next Generation, like, um, like on the, the CW when it would come on like, yeah. after Friends and before Taxi and stuff like that. So I remember watching right. it, and, I, and it always put me to there was something about the tone and the ambiance and you know Patrick Stewart's voice and it would just put me right to sleep and it was funny the last couple years my husband and I and I was like you know what are we going to watch at night to kind of wind us down and I was like oh Star Trek's on and we just got really into it again and so now that's part of our nighttime routine so of course now it's my character's nighttime routine because you filter in little things like that that are parts of your real life um oh for sure kind of add that more personal touch so yeah, I, yeah, because I then really, people are like, really oh, I watched that show too, you know, um, yeah, and it yeah, makes absolutely. it makes a huge difference. Yeah, when you're relating I, to the, yeah, the characters I, and I the people. Believe, um, I have a lot of references to Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and Fearless because it's. <laughs> Which is a really old musical. I don't know if it is between. Yes, yes. But I mean, it's one of my favorites. And I grew up watching it. I love the dancing. I danced for many years of my life. And so, of course, there, my characters end up watching this musical. And it ended up being a perfect metaphor because Taryn is complaining um, about Mason always being in the way, and she's watching as Millie just comes home after marrying um, her backwoodsman and realizing that she's inherited six brothers-in-law, you know, and right. she just turned the dinner table on them and stuff like that, and Mason comes busting in through the door. And so it just became this really lovely metaphor between that I didn't plan on between what was going on in their life versus going on in these silly musicals. And I mean, she watches Gypsy, too, because her mom yeah. hates Billy, and you know, and it's she's got a big question of what she's going to do about her life to take one path or take the other. The relationship's caught in the middle. She's got choices to make, and she's watching Rama, Mama Rose belt it out, you know. And so it all kind of it all kind of filters down. You never know how those experiences within you as a writer are going to filter out, and sometimes that magic happens where you're like, I'm so glad that clicked. 
So I couldn't have played yeah. it at all. But and it's I, fun. I, love I mean, those are, it is fun. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here today. And then um, yeah. your next book comes out when? I don't know. Um, unfortunately, because of uh, because of everything that's going on, we are. Uh, it was originally slated for December, um, but we are okay. looking to probably more uh, spring or early summer for next year. Okay. To give bookstores okay. a chance to buck up a little bit, but um, Fierce is out right now. It's out in mass market paperback and an ebook. The audio book will be coming August thirteenth. We got a great couple of narrators for it, and I am so excited. Benjamin D. Walker and Ramona Masterson, and they sound wonderful. So I'm super excited <laughs> about that. But, yeah, and I, and I really encourage yeah. people to, you know, follow me and check me out. And then as I know more and as updates and covers come up and things like that, trailers, um, we'll definitely get that information out on Reckless. So I can't wait for it to come. That's it's my baby. So that was love it. So if you've been listening, you this is Patricia W. Fisher with Katie Golding. Um way to find her, her website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and BookBub are and the links are in the write up of the show as well as the buy links for her book. This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions www.cosproductions.com Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle.